Hello lovely people, I uh, thought I'd do a more personal intro for this episode of the podcast. Funny enough, that gets mentioned in this episode of the podcast as well. How I've somewhat flitted between these more personal, me talking to you uh, intros and taking a snippet from the episode itself and using that as my intro. So you've got a personal one this time. And this episode is with my friend George Williams, who is known as GF Williams on the social media platforms. He's an automotive photographer that does commercial photography for the likes of Zenvo, for example. It is a kind of more uh, brochure-esque photography rather than a car in a specific situation at an event kind of photography. It takes a lot more finesse and a lot more kind of practical control of the environment to do the photography that George does versus the stuff that I'm more into at the moment, which is going to an event and capturing the essence of an event and things in motion where you have no control. So George is really at the top of the game in this sector and is absolutely smashing it. And it was nice to get him to sit down and chat with me for a little over an hour about what he does, where he's come from, and what he's thinking about doing in the future. So with that, on with the podcast. just click record um cool because this is how it's going to happen anyway right so the the premise is exactly what we're doing just chatting cool um, don't even need to do a sync clap do you don't need to do a sync clap don't really need to do a proper intro because what i'll do is i'll ask you the one question that i ask everyone and then i'll take that bit cool or when i get home i'll just record a separate one and say who you are and what you do and on with the podcast that kind of thing i'm still it's kind of 50 50 which way i go so people who listen regularly probably get like one episode where it's like a, a segment cut from the the podcast and the next episode is just me going hey guys this is what we're doing today and i've no idea if it's in any way that's good very or enthusiastic yeah, i can't I, mean, I can't raise my voice to that level of enthusiasm that's completely fine i uh, <laughs> recorded with um jack um i can't remember how to pronounce this name properly it's like cavana he's the guy from stiana gloss the detailing company. oh yeah and he's very big and expressive yeah, especially like on camera and stuff like that and he was like, yeah, I'm about 50% energy level right now. And I was sat there going, I'm really tired. <laughs> I'm trying to keep up. Oh, God. It's really hard work. He's so expressive and got so much energy. It's brilliant. Yeah. But it is hard work. And, and he, that's why he does well in media. Yeah. And I am better at sitting behind a laptop talking, mm, yeah. <laughs> which is what we're doing now. So we're at um, Beaconsfield Services in your, in your car. Yeah. So if there is a bit of background noise, it's the air con because it's the one sunny day we're getting this year. Because this has been the worst summer for like ever for rain and clouds and stuff, so we've actually got a nice day for once. Yeah, it's lovely today. Um, but I'm sat with George Williams, the photographer. So thank you for having me on. I've kind of ruined my own intro bit there because I go, "Who are you and what do you do?" And you're now going to just repeat who you are. Oh well, said. I'm George Williams, uh, known as GF Williams to some. Um, so if you didn't know me as George, I am GF sometimes, um, and I am a car photographer, commercial. Uh, shoot for lots of manufacturers, so Rolls Royce, uh, Porsche, McLaren, Zenvo was the most recent. That oh, was nice quite cool. You. So, have I seen bits from Toyota as well? Yes, Toyota. Uh, more USA. Yeah, um, which is something we were chatting about recently, and by recently I mean like five minutes ago. Is the amount of stuff that's happening in America now is is really growing in your world, isn't it? Yeah, I would like to do more. Um, 
I would like to live there at some stage. Um, Does so. it not terrify you a little bit living yes, in the States? Yes, absolutely. All right. um, it's like everything you do has a barrier to get over to get to it. Yeah. Um, the biggest one being visa stuff, right, um, yeah. which is not particularly enjoyable to organise. So is it like different visas for different trip purposes? So if you wanted to actually move there and work there, you'd have uh, a whole... Weirdly, more... no. So for me, it would be an O1 visa, which is basically to work or live there. Right, okay. So I need it regardless. Oh, so it's the same process. Yeah. Does it change how long you can stay for? Uh, when you first do it, you've got three years. Right. Um, and then you can either renew or convert to green card, apparently. Oh, okay. So the biggest problem though is it's really expensive well hopefully if there's enough work out <laughs> yeah hopefully it pays for itself <laughs> yeah oh god what because like just anything news wise from america now is just terrifying like it feels like you can't go there without some horrific event happening nearby yeah when we were there in january um there was a shooting at a yoga class very close to where we were it's like, oh, this is, this is nice. But at least we weren't doing yoga at the time, so... Yeah, well, you'd think a yoga class would be safe, really, wouldn't you? Like a nice, peaceful environment. You would, and schools. Um, yeah. But, yeah, you, I think you've just got to not think of it. Brilliant. Just dig your, dig your head in the sand a bit. It'll be fine. That's what I do. I just think one of your, your main saving graces for if you do go to America is that you are a white man. And that seems to be like uh, the safest person to be at the minute. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it's probably the case to an extent everywhere, yeah, unfortunately, true. as much as it shouldn't be. Um, which, if you didn't know, George, Revelation, he's a white guy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's basically me in a slightly different variation. Um, <laughs> we're both sat here with glasses on, shorts, T-shirt, <laughs> trainers. Um, so to try and steer away from this political route that we've already headed okay. down, we're four minutes in and we're like, America's scary. <laughs> Should we talk about cars <laughs> we, or yeah. photography or something? How did you get into the photography world? Because a few people that I've met started as like the car spotting world and it grew into basically doing that for people and for events and things. What was your route into doing what you do? I always liked the control element of a photo shoot so even right from the beginning I was shooting like my dad's Catrum 7 on the driveway that kind of stuff where I control exactly what I do how I want it um, like the angles etc spotting and event photography has never really been for me hugely um, just because of that lack of control Mm -hmm. Um, and when I do shoot events even now I tend to try and get control yeah. uh, by telling people how I want things. Yeah, yeah. Um, so if you ever see an event photo from you and it's like people are all moving, it's just you yeah, shouting told at them, them right, to. go! Um, <laughs> yeah, and position cars a certain way yeah. that I think will look best, etc., etc. Um, but yeah, I started at the age of 16, 17. Right. Um, first couple of shoots were for people on piston heads. Oh, yeah. Um, locally to where I lived, uh, one of them that was quite cool was an Ultima GTR. Very cool. Uh, and I'm actually still friends with the owner, which is quite nice. So, a good 15 years ago. Um, we had 10, I think, I think we counted 10, come to Coffees and Cars in Northampton. Oh, wow. And I think it was like known as one of the biggest And how, how many left? Oh, I left before <laughs> most of them. So I had a, another thing to go afterwards. Um, I think it was, they were like, this is like the biggest gathering of Ultimas ever. And I was like, there's 10. And four were there the next day yeah four uh, managed to get there on a flatbed <laughs> three people turned up who had Ultimas and were like I just couldn't get it here so I came instead in my reliable car um, the annoying thing is 
They're really cool cars. They are awesome. And I would love one. Um, but You just have to live with it, then. Yeah, they, they are hand-built cars by people in a shed. Yeah, and you get that level of build quality. Yes. And someone was saying how they'd found a certain issue with it. And Ultima were like, I guess that's just an issue with the car, then you just have to live with it. And they're like, you're not going to find a fix? And they're like, we can't afford to research and develop that fix for you. Yeah. You just have to live with how that's how that goes in these cars. <laughs> Sounds like Lotus. Well, uh, speaking of Lotus, you have a Lotus, don't you? I do have a Lotus. <laughs> Shall I finish my point about yes, photography first, though? photography before um, divers across another tangent. Sorry. Um, so, yeah, I went to uni for a year to do something totally irrelevant to photography, which was computer science and management studies at Nottingham. And as I was doing it, the photography built up um, and I got a few clients, etc. And that was only age of 18, 19. And I realised it was a lot more exciting than computer science, which probably isn't a surprise <laughs> a to surprise. most. <laughs> um, so I left my degree, dropped out. Um, which was a bit of a risk at the time, but mm. I also wasn't doing very well at the degree, obviously. Are you old enough to have been prior to when they stopped doing kind of funded degrees and everything then went to nine grand a year? Uh, I was the last year of the cheap stuff. Yeah, I think so I there was... So was very much no going back after. Yeah, I think I was the same. We must have been the same year at school then because I was the last year. If I'd gone to uni, not really realising <laughs> that it was the only option to do it without paying a lot of money to go... Um, otherwise, I probably should have just gone just for the... Well, it's it's cheap at the minute, so we might as well make the most of that. Yeah, I do think now with hindsight, do a degree if it's the right thing to do and you actually want to learn what's in the degree as yeah. opposed to just for a bit of paper. Well, that's basically the route my other half's followed. She's done eight years of uni now. She's all qualified and finished, but it is her chosen career path requires that to, yeah. to get in that upper end, uh, end yeah. of what you're doing photography doesn't you no. just have to be able to take nice photos which is quite nice <laughs> yeah you just um, go I captured this light for you here you go and the rest is potluck yeah. uh, <laughs> so at 18, 19 you started was it then enough to do full time yep oh, uh, went, well obviously I live with my parents still so it built up slowly and yeah. like kept costs to a minimum um, but yeah built it up got some interesting clients worked for Toyota UK fairly early on mm-hmm. so that was quite good um, and yeah, just kind of built things up, did a few bits of magazine work. Yeah. Um, and f- even from that stage, I knew where I wanted to be and what kind of jobs I wanted to do. So I tailored the style of my work to be quite commercial looking, yeah. um, which when I look back at my early work looks quite overly retouched because I wasn't great at retouching. Right. Um, you didn't buy the right Lightroom presets then. Well, Lightroom <laughs> presets didn't even exist then. Um, I see so many adverts for that. <laughs> yeah, uh, still don't use them. No. Um, I make my own, and just yeah. If I'm at a show, I'll go right. Here is a style that matches what the weather was like. Yeah. Here we go. It makes. I mean, that works. Doesn't saves it? time, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, There's a place for presets. Um, I don't really. These need real them. photographers that use Photoshop. Well, I don't even use Lightroom. Do you not? Nope, not at all. So I am Photoshop only because. Every single photo I do requires a certain amount of attention. Yeah. So, so, so I don't want to streamline that process. I want to almost slow it down yeah. so that I'm a bit more concentrated on things. I guess it's giving everything the proper attention it deserves, really, then. And yeah. then your output is consistently high quality. And, and I'm not aiming to do 200 photos from a set. Um, it will be 10, 15 photos. Yeah. That's where I need to be. 
Yeah, it's a completely different world to the bits that I've dabbled in, which is basically just going to events anyway and taking a camera, yeah. rather than I'm put, putting together an actual photo shoot, which I've not really done, because I am, I'm the opposite of you in terms of I need to have control over every element. I'm more of a, let's see what happens. It will capture <laughs> some essence of an event or oh, something going on. Um, I'm not focused enough to be able to go, right, I want lighting like this, I want a car positioned here, this, this, this. I'm like, it is what it is, let's crack on. I'll get a million photos and find 10 good ones rather than 20 photos and five good ones. Um, so, so what I enjoy now is planning earlier and right. even more of that. So <laughs> that I just, the opposite ends of this spectrum it, are. Very much so, yeah. Oh, brilliant. Um, but... So when you're planning a photo shoot then, let's take... The one that springs to mind is the one that you did for Auto Vivendi with the new Lamborghini Storato, is it? The off-roady one. Yeah. When when you're planning that kind of shoot and you're putting that together, what process are you going through? I mean, the Auto Vivendi one isn't a crazy amount of planning because it's we a have... a Lamborghini and a quarry. Well, we have a lot of cars to do. Oh, um, right, okay. So... <laughs> So we we have to get through them, but we also have to get high quality. So it's kind of finding that balance. Yeah. Um, the cars are amazing, and what Auto Vivendi do is super cool. So you want to just get that across in the photos. Yeah. Um, the Storato is a fairly obvious one, I think. It's like, where do you imagine this car? Quarry. Yeah, yeah, um, that makes sense. So boom, did it. <laughs> yeah. So um, I've picked a bad example from the bat. Then uh, let's take another. A so more let, let me give you a better yeah. example. So. As you know, I've just shot the new Zenvo hypercar, um, so 2,000 horsepower car. Um, I have known details about this car for the last year or so. Right. Um, so I've had it in my mind what it's going to be, a rough look which has become clearer over time, um, and I've known the name, which is a key part of the creative that we used, which is Aurora. So. Northern Lights. Northern Lights, right. Um, you saw my engagement photos and you were like, that'll work. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so I, it then turned out that I would have two days in a studio with the car. Right. Or with two cars. Um, so not huge amounts of time for what we were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but with enough pre-planning, yeah. it meant that I could get what I needed. So um, I decided to build a background which um, actually involved the floor and the sky being separate so the floor was actually a paving slab in my back garden that I shot and lit um, and you would never know because it's just a texture at the end of the yeah, day yeah. that's all I needed and I pondered how to do it for ages because stock images were not doing me any favours Right. Um, so I got there eventually and it meant I could light things in the right colour balance etc because uh, it needed a green tinge Yeah. because um, this is such a different world of photography to what a lot of people in the automotive kind of scene are used to because a lot of what is automotive photography is out and about at events things like yeah. that like the commercial side is it's not really delved into much and I well, don't think that many people know all of this stuff that happens behind the scenes to get those photos yeah and lots of different shoots have different approaches mm. um, like when I shot a Toyota Prius it was a totally different approach yeah um, and actually almost as enjoyable weirdly um, well, I guess if your favourite part of it is the preparation and the control element and figuring out how to get, like you said, different textures under different lights and things, the subject becomes less of the key point for you because you like, in a way, I want um, this background and this texture to work with this subject. It's not necessarily, oh my God, look at the subject. It's, it's I, I love shooting supercars and hypercars, but it is 
easier to get something half decent. Yeah. Um, well as, I mean, last week I shot a combine harvester. <laughs> that was quite hard. Yeah. Um, because of the sheer scale of it. So suddenly my lights were doing a lot less. <laughs> um, and it was like, oh, that's lit a wheel when it would have lit a whole car. Yeah. Like, oh, this is going to be hard. I bet. Uh, plus it's very dusty in a field with a combine harvester. I'm saying it's not like you can just drag one into a nice pristine studio either. Uh, no. Unless you rent out and the you wouldn't want to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but good luck getting it there. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, we shot in the middle of a field whilst it was working um, because... Oh, because it's harvest season as well. They were probably like, we haven't got time for you, pal. Just keep off. Well, we needed some genuine shots that showed the dust. Right. And showed it working. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it wasn't the easiest shoot, but <laughs> client seems happy, so that's what's good. That's the important part at the end of the day. Exactly. You're, you're getting paid for for doing product if you're not doing that to a good standard then yeah and a, a lot of the time when people see stuff online they won't necessarily realise that it's not always exactly what I want to do it's yeah. some it's meeting a brief as well yeah yeah um, like we're shooting to sell stuff that is why I'm being paid yeah yeah it's not shooting for your Instagram no exactly <laughs> like, I wish how can it I was. get more followers <laughs> I'll just get commercial work it's more of a how can I earn a living from photography yeah I do what is asked of me I imagine with your kind of reputation being as as well earned as it is, you have a little bit more control over who who you work with now. A, li- a little bit. I I think the key thing for me is that clients will take on board my advice. Yeah. Um, I am an expert in what I do, and I do say stuff for a reason. Um, most of the time, it's trying to push the client to put in a bit more effort to work those extra hours of doing a night shoot or sunset yeah, yeah. Uh, just go a bit further to that slightly more exciting location and and honestly it's quite hard sometimes to push people to do that yeah but that's the difference between an average photo and a good photo quite often is yeah I bet. that effort you put in um i saw a video recently where it was a guy he's like i found the fir- perfect photo spot for it was like a landscape photo of this valley it might have been no, it was possibly Shmi that was getting a photo of his Zenvo when he was somewhere. Okay. And he basically had to like half rock climb up to this spot to get <laughs> above where the car was because the background was perfect if you could get this right angle. Nice. And he was like, it's taken me like half an hour just to get up this rock face just to take this one photo. <laughs> that but it was really like worth a lot it. of effort for Tim. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've got, I'm sure it was Tim. But it was one of those where it's like, I've got the car, the backdrop is amazing. If I can just get this angle right, it'll be an amazing shot. And it was like, doing that requires a substantial amount of effort rather than going, I'm sure it'll have looked fine, but I can get an almost as good shot from here. Um, So when did the the shift to, like, big commercial stuff for... Like, what's that been... There's a few points in my career that I can look back on. Um, one of the big ones was shooting the P1, the McLaren P1. Nice. Um, it was the prototype and it was in Bahrain. That's a cool place to go as well. And the conditions were perfect. It was sunrise and sunset, so we got two, two each. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was kind of the shots that made my career to an extent. They, It led to people like Top Gear contacting me. I went from someone that no one really knew yeah. to suddenly people knew about those photos yeah yeah oh this is the guy that shot those McLaren photos yeah it's a, like a bit of a door opener for you isn't it yeah exactly um, 
I'm just waiting for that moment. Of, uh, I'm just bumbling along. Yeah, waiting I'm, wait, for I'm waiting for the next one. Uh, <laughs> Maybe the Zenvo ones. Uh, yeah, I mean, the Zenvo's bloody cool. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And then the other one was Maserati in 2017. I won the job to shoot every single one of their cars. Oh, cool. Which were either facelifted or new cars. Yeah. Uh, for model year 2018. That's pre-MC20, isn't it? Yes, yeah, way before. Yeah. Uh, so it was Levante, Ghibli, Quattroporte, Gran Turismo and Ga- Gran Cabrio. I forget that they make like five cars. You just think of the, the SUV and the sports cars and that's all you think exists. Yeah. And then you see a Quattroporte and you go, oh yeah, they make those as well. And then you see a Ghibli and you're like, oh yeah, that's also a car that's got a Maserati badge on it. Well, you don't see many in the UK. No. Um, it's not a big seller in the UK. Well, as um, if you go to America, you see a lot more... China's a big market for them and actually this was a really key part with that campaign was understanding that the audience that Maserati have in the UK isn't the audience for the rest of the world yeah um, I don't so for the China market was it like look how big this grill is on everything Just well, how big the grill is it's more they'll be early 20s yeah well as in the UK they won't yeah, yeah. <laughs> put simply they're old um, which is changing and it's becoming a much cooler brand as the cars are getting a lot better like they've got the new car which is a rival for the Macan yeah and it's actually a decent car now they've actually made it something worth yeah like considering versus your Macan rather than just oh yeah they do that thing yeah um, exactly. I saw a photo of the new Gran Turismo that looks a bit like the old Gran Turismo but apparently is a new car yeah, I don't really know um, much about it. I, I literally, a friend of mine went, I've just seen this. Is that a new car? It had like the new Gran Turismo written on the side. <laughs> it's like, is it a new car? It looks like the old one a little bit. I'm um, sure it probably is, because I think they've got the money behind them to develop stuff properly now. Oh, right, OK. Um, I think they've it. got a full electric one coming as well. I think most manufacturers are just being forced down that route these days, aren't they? We've they seem to, to be, but it's good when people give options to the yeah. customer. Um, so we had McLaren and the Maserati thing which I imagine so, so the Maserati one was about four months in Italy wow um, it was, that's a lot of work it was about as big a job as you will get as a stills photographer yeah um, I can't and short of going to a German manufacturer shooting everything yeah I don't think there's many jobs out there that are bigger. It that was been such a huge moment for you. Yeah, I was 24 at the time, um, and that I I was out of my depth in a lot of ways. Yeah. What's annoying is looking back, I could do so much better a job now because I've learned so much since, and I've done a load of jobs yeah, on yeah. that scale with a production. I mean, I had 30 people working for me most of the time to make sure I get everything I need. As a 24-year-old, that must have been intimidating. It like, was, but you also just have to get it done. Yeah, it's like, well, I've uh, got no choice. I've got to make this work now. And I was lo- I was working the most ridiculous hours. I was doing like 5am to 11pm for three months um, to make sure I had everything. And it, you kind of have to go back and remind yourself, it's like, they've hired me because they like my photos. Yeah. At the end of the day, I am taking photos. Yeah. The whole point of the crew is to make sure I've got everything I could possibly need to make sure I get good photos. And it's easy to overthink that. Yeah. Like all of these people are counting on me probably yeah. really eats at your brain quite quickly. Yeah, it does. And it, it wasn't easy at all. Um, 
So. Was, was the 5 a.m. to 11 actually working? Was it just you woke up really early, like, oh my god, I got another date, and then you couldn't get to sleep at the end of the day? You're like, I might as well just keep working. Uh, no, it was retouching and organizing the photos, and because you'd be shooting and editing at the same time. I did have a retoucher helping me, right? And he was good, but I also had to do the final edit because you're a control freak. We've uh, gone through this. Well, it was actually because it needs to have my look, because right, that's okay. why they've hired me, yeah. So they can do all the tidying, etc., and the boring stuff. And then you do and the then final. I just finish it. But you it click that takes. preset, and then off we go. Yeah, <laughs> it, just, it just needs a lot of time, that stuff, unfortunately. I don't think many people realise how much time it takes, especially if you're doing it like you do, which is properly through Photoshop. Like, it's a it's a real amount of work it after is. the event. That yeah. So with Zenvo recently, I worked it out that I was between four and five hours per photo. Jeez. I did 50 photos. Every piece of gravel <laughs> was perfectly aligned in every shot. and that kind so, of so the challenge with the Zenvo is that the design of the car reflects in lots of different angles. Yeah. It's a complex design of car. And therefore, to light it perfectly in a studio, you could spend a day lighting sure. one shot. We didn't have that time, so I'm lighting quickly. Yeah. Which is fine, and we got to where we need with the results, and that's all that matters. Um, but it meant that I have to spend the time afterwards. Right, I'm with you. So the time that you don't have in the studio is then time that you have to spend. Yeah, on. so I just th- throw lights in the ballpark of where I think I need them. Yeah. Um, and then I just have to move on to the next shot once I've got what I think I need for the edit. Yeah. Um, and I, I did have everything I need, to be fair. Um, oh. But it just takes time. Do you ever find that there's a like clients that are more attuned to how a finished photo should look than others and they can kind of be a little bit more like in depth when they give you feedback or they look at the end result with you yes rolls royce right um rolls royce are really specific and it's great i've learned so much from them as a company as to the attention to detail that they will notice right um i mean it's hard to give an example but Air vents have to be perfect, seat belts have to be sitting exactly right on the seat. Um, like, I mean, obviously, steering wheel has to be straight, everything has to be correct on the screens. Right. So, just every element of the photo has to be perfect. So, then that forces you to really pay attention to all the details that you're doing. Yeah, and it's even things like reflections on a bit of glass have to be the way that they would like them. Wow. Which then means that you're having to light it a certain way before a photo so that that reflection is... Yeah. Oh, it's so intricate as to how much detail there is in one photo. But then they are also very realistic that they will do no more than eight photos in a day in a studio. Yeah. So that you have the time to do it properly. Right. And they're not like, why haven't we got 50 of these? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Which I guess for anyone that's worked with, say, like an event photographer, and then they're trying to do product photography in this way, that must be a really difficult like shift in how you think about a photo shoot because if you've spent time with your cars at say Bista for an event and then you go oh we'll get a photographer coming to a studio shoot and they're like right we've got eight photos today you're like well I've got 300 at Bista it's like yeah because they can't control anything at Bista they're just going to shoot whatever they can and give you whatever they can whereas in that environment it's it's almost clinical in it is the the good shoots as I would put them are I really like having a creative agency involved as well. So they come in and they kind of create a situation with the client that the client will understand exactly what they're doing before, Mm -hmm. why, um, and give all the photos a reason and 
just everything's predetermined and you tend to just have slightly more out there ideas which is fun oh yeah I bet um, what's like, the most outlandish one that you've had so far then oh god that's hard um <laughs> Oh, actually, there's a good example. Uh, last Christmas, I did a shoot with an agency for Porsche UK, right? Where we draped <clears throat> Christmas lights over a Macan and a 911, nice, and drove them round at night, lighting the cars up using Christmas lights. That's quite good fun. You you basically just did what I did with my Renault Five, and I just put fairy lights all over yeah. it and drove into London. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> and then it killed the battery. <laughs> the tough thing, actually was uh, getting all the sweeping motions of the driving correct because you're doing like a 10 second exposure for example yeah and it's quite easy for it to look really naff yeah so to make it look premium is actually quite challenging you've got so many different lights that are going to be making the streaks aren't you so if they all just blur into a mesh it's just going to be a brown line going along the road (laughs) yeah how did you fix that problem and what was your solution to that Um, we did a recce tech recce before where we tested it right um luckily i have the same car which helped (laughs) so it's a very lovely place to be sat to record to be fair (laughs) yes um so we did a test run and i kind of i worked out what wasn't working and given the time to go back to the computer piece things together and kind of i wish i had this i didn't have this yeah um it then meant that when i shot the actual shots you knew what I knew what I wanted although even on the evening I worked out some things that really helped like starting with the car with fairy lights on really close to the camera right it made the gaps between the fairy lights bigger right and it kind of spread things out and then you could get more of an effect of motion that's clever which was quite cool yeah yeah so so I'm not very like good at going into this level of detail when I'm thinking because I'll just do and then I'll learn it and then I'll just get better at it by experience so to sit and kind of go through that kind of thought process is is really new for my brain to try and figure out okay it's it's a we've like we said we're quite opposite ends of this same kind of creative journey in that I'm very much a right let's have a go see what happens we'll figure it out and you're I want this because this will lead to this and this will lead to that and it's such a, a yeah i think i have quite a funny <laughs> mindset at times <laughs> i've recently found out that i have adhd see i'm on the waiting list for a referral for that okay but yeah, we're still I've, very opposite in how we kind of function on this diff- sort of different stuff. kind of adhd yeah. yeah i've only done the quizzes and been like oh yeah i'm full on everything yeah, yeah. <laughs> your your spectrum is just all the outside edges or yeah, the whole yeah. way around very much so <laughs> mine's probably really erratic <laughs> because that's again how my brain goes um, but it's, it's an interesting thing to learn about yourself like the journey that I've been on has hasn't been a linear like was the naughty kid in class was that never able to do quizzes or tests and stuff like that so it wasn't something that was like oh this kid's a little bit different and then through my teenage years I went through quite a lot of kind of intense I'm going to call it trauma because that's what it was so then you were almost in a constant state of like trauma response which isn't your natural state so it's not even like you're masking behavior it's just right i've got to get through today and see what tomorrow brings you're just in a constant state of almost like high alert so it wasn't until probably the last two or three years where i've been in a like a low stress environment comparatively like obviously life throws stresses in different ways but it's like 
relatively normal life in a stable relationship with a relatively stable working life and a relatively stable financial position that I've kind of just been able to be myself and then learn all of this about myself like yeah. oh I do think a bit differently or I do find that a challenge and this easy and it's one of those where people are like wow you pick up hobbies really quick I'm like that's probably a sign because that's not a normal behaviour unless you've got an ADHD to pick up new skills and that, find things really interesting really quickly. Has it been a similar thing for you? Have you had a... I mean, you probably only need to look at my Lotus to realise that <laughs> I can become a bit obsessive, um, to say the least. magnificent, though. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a very much a passion project of, what, five years that mm. escalated towards the end, um, where every single detail of the car is considered yeah and i have thought about it i've taken it off it's like like my mindset with cars yeah uh, with photography sorry um applying it to my car so it was yellow standard exige right that's what you uh, started with well <laughs> it was one of two right. liquid yellow from the factory cars and Exiges. you went we're going to change that yeah well there was a reason for changing the color the liquid yellow couldn't be matched Right, and it was just a pain. So if you had a mark on it and needed to repaint anything, it, it was just not meant to be. And if you've got the eye for detail that you have, that must be like the worst thing in the world to try and live with. Yeah, I mean, I spent my whole life looking at cars and specifically colours. Yeah, and understanding them, changing them, making them how I think they should be. Yeah. So to have a car which has two different shades on it, <laughs> uh, that drove me mad. I bet. Like, don't go anywhere near my car, because, <laughs> <laughs> like, the front bumper is, like, grey with road rash. There's, like, swell marks all over it from when I took the last stickers off. Like, nice. e- every detail is a little bit rough around the edges. I mean, I've done 115,000 miles in it, and I all the stickers that I've done myself, so it's, it's purely just me ruining this car very slowly <laughs> over six years or seven years or whatever. The absolute inverse of that, again, is your Lotus, which is... Well, it is, but it's also done 70,000 miles. That's and when good, we say yeah. it's done that, some parts have done that. Yeah. The engine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and not much to, else. To be fair, that's on its second engine. Oh, OK. The bottom end blew at 40-odd thousand miles. Thank you, Subaru. And uh, it took about six months of arguing with Toyota to get it sorted. Nice. Because um, they tried to, oh, you voided your warranty by putting the wrong oil in. And then I was like, well, here is the service book that says if you're going to drive it a bit more aggressively, put thicker oil in. It's literally like a sentence in it. I was like, so we put thicker oil in and it went bang. Well, then it's your fault then, isn't it? Like, I did what you told me. Oh, dear. Um, so, yeah, six months of that. <laughs> so that's, that engine's on eight, almost 80,000 miles, so we're not far off the same. But doesn't yours have... Yours what? are the V6, isn't Yeah, it? it's Toyota engine. Yeah. So It'll yours be will be fine because it's Toyota. Yeah. Mine will go again because it's Subaru. Yeah, well, the gearbox isn't so great. I'm on my third gearbox. Oh, really? Yeah. Bloody hell. So we've got, started off as this one of two liquid yellow cars, which yeah. if you've got the other one, fair play to you now, you've got the only one. <laughs> A friend has it, actually. <laughs> Do they? Yeah. <laughs> They're like, I'm going to put this in bubble wrap and keep got it in one the garage. One. Yeah. Started off with that liquid yellow car. Was the colour change the first big thing? Uh, no, so I did the mechanical stuff first. Right. Um, so I did 460 horsepower kit from Comotech. I did dampers, brakes, wheels, tyres. Quite a lot then. Uh, yeah, quite a bit. Um, <laughs> I'm sure I probably did other stuff as well. I did a few bits on the interior next. So uh, the famous project was, or infamous project, was Ferrari air, air vents. Oh, yeah. That I got off eBay and then reshaped the dash 
and <laughs> got trims to make make them fit. Um, <laughs> but I do like them. Um, and then I ended up re-trimming the whole interior. Of course. Um, Fortunately, there's not much interior in there. Uh, yes. Until you start <laughs> yeah. taking it apart. Until you start doing every single part in Alcantara. <laughs> oh then it God. feels like a lot. You must not move at all if you're in that car, because the Alcantara is obviously slightly coarse, so it just grabs <laughs> onto whatever surface. You're like, I'm fixed in this position. Yeah, although I do have carbon bucket seats. Oh, you do, don't you? And they've got purple on them now, haven't they? Or yes, purple? tinted carbon, yeah. purple. Um, so, yeah, basically went and decided that I wanted to do this whole new rebuild. Like The car was done and looked great, um, so I decided to start again. And I'm bored of this now, let's try again. <laughs> well, I was at that stage of, do I buy a new car yeah. or do I ruin this one? Um, so I ruined this one, but it actually went quite well, and I think it's actually better now. It's really got quite a name for itself, to be fair. Yeah, I think it's because no one else would be silly enough to do that. Um, but also because I really do have an attention to, to detail yeah, really well. um, that it is better than OEM quality. Yeah. Well, it's not better than Porsche OEM quality, but it's definitely better than Lotus quality. Yeah, it depends on um, the OEM. Yeah, they set the bar quite low. low. <laughs> um, well, they used to anyway. They're a bit better now. Bless them. Especially with like the uh, the new stuff that's coming, like the Avira. Yeah, and the Electra. Yeah, that's thanks to some money... Yeah, thanks, thanks to some money and being made in China. Yeah. Um, so you did all the mechanicals, internal. Yeah. Inside, and, then and then visually, I went. I wanted to do something a bit crazy. So the original plan was to paint it pink. Right. Um, got a bit of backlash on the internet for that. I think apparently. I remember those photos. Of apparently, you. people don't like pink cars um, unless it's a Porsche or a Honda S two thousand from Too Fast Too Furious. Exactly. Um, so which. Like, I would have been up for painting it pink anyway, but I've got so much money in that car that I yeah. wanted to actually be worth something when I <laughs> sell it one when day. When you move to America and you have to get rid of it. Well, yeah. <laughs> Try not to think about that. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it ended up with a shade of purple, which Ken, the painter, mixed up. And while he was just playing around, um, he's quite a talented painter yeah. and quite creative himself. He just painted on some uh, paint onto some carbon that I had laying around, and he's like, "You should do tinted carbon like this." And I'm like, "Oh my god, that looks amazing! I didn't know you could do that." Um, it looks so good as well, doesn't it? Yeah. And then the challenge was making it look tasteful, yeah. because there's an awful lot of cars with tinted carbon, which I've shot a lot of, which don't look tasteful. Right. Um, so I wanted it so that you didn't notice the carbon until you're up close. I think you've got a slight fade into carbon as well. Yeah. So it really does do that draw the eye yeah. thing that you're going for. Yeah, I got him to do gradients and stuff. Yeah. It's Unfortunately, you've had the experience of what doesn't work with all the cars that you've shot. So you can go, well, well, that looks crap, so we won't do that. And there's a lot of stuff that does look good, Yeah. to be fair. Um, so the, basically, with tinted carbon, there's two ways of doing it. One is um, with candy paint. Right. which is like a transparent which shows the most carbon yeah um and it almost amplifies the carbon and then there's the way i did it which is sort of watering down your regular pearlescent paint right okay and you paint it over the top so you've still got a regular paint over the top of the carbon but you're not using a primer okay yeah um, you. so you've got the challenges with that so you're painting over lacquer instead of a primer which i guess then if there's any variation in the density of the paint that you're applying it's really going to show right yeah um so when you water it down you get a few more opportunities right 
Um, so it means you can do more coats to get the same effect. Okay. So that's how he did it, and I mean, he's just a really good painter. Yeah, he's doing a fantastic job. Um, but also, the, it, the colour of the whole car was supposed to be on a white uh, primer. Right. And we did it on a dark grey primer so that it matched the carbon so that you didn't have that big change. Yeah. Um, so yeah, did that, added a load of custom carbon parts that I made while I was at it. Um, Got some bits 3D printed by uh, Tim. Yeah, Tim uh, Oldland. Former podcast guest. Yes. Good friend of mine. Very so. nice person. <laughs> really lovely guy. Um, yeah, so he 3D scanned a few bits on the car and designed and then 3D printed uh, like light, light mount points for the front grille. Yeah. Um, and it's just little things like that that when designed well finish the car off really nicely yeah yeah those those square fogs that you've got in the front work really nicely and your um wing remove bracket covers they work really nicely as well yeah so the original plan with those was just to have a seal for around the wing where it came out of the clamp yeah um but then i realized if i take the wing off i end up with a big hole Um, so I got Tim to design some fins yeah and I think they look so cool they are really cool and they're done so well that it doesn't look like a, an afterthought it looks like it was intentionally like yeah there's a reason if you want to it. take the wing out you can have these bits that go in yeah and um, they fit really nicely they've got a thread and they're it takes me like two minutes to take the wing off really yeah which is really nice <laughs> Does it make a big dynamic difference to the car? Uh, I haven't taken it on track on the road. I don't go fast enough. That right, that you're going to notice. Yeah. I it's mean, not it's... now like really skiddy on roundabouts instead of just quite skiddy. No, the car's got loads of mechanical grip. So yeah. I'm on uh, tractive core dampers, which are semi-active. Yeah. Um, so I've got a little screen that means I can adjust the dampers. Oh. Um, I met it's... the guy that is the UK tractive MD, I think. Okay. By accident... And it, like, coincidentally, so I did some artwork for um, Osher Design for their Land Rover project. Cool. And Tractive have done the suspension for them. Okay. So Saturday morning, Tractive shared a photo of my artworks because Osher were like, you can't show any photos of the, the, the cars themselves because they're not finished yet. So they were like, this is the only way we can demonstrate what the suspension is going on is this artwork. So Osher shared it. I saw it. I was like, oh, cool. So I followed Tractive. And then it was when we were at Piston Head's 25th anniversary thing at Bista. I was stood in Haggerty's new clubhouse, and the guy from Tractive went, I was over at your place earlier. And I was like, oh, I don't have a place. I'm not really sure what you mean. <laughs> and the 86 was parked outside of Classic Performance Engineering. I think he just assumed that that was my spot. And obviously, I was wearing one of my T-shirts. He went, oh, is that not your place? I was like, no, no. I was like, funnily enough, you shared one of my artworks today, though. And he's like, what is this really weird, small world coincidence the same day that he'd shared it I we then met each other um, happens quite a lot with uh, yeah this bet. weird small car world in fact I had a weird one so talking of those lights yeah the actual light unit is from laser lamps yeah and um, which a lot of car people will have heard of so that was actually by pure coincidence the client for that combine harvester shoot was it um, so they are promoting ag- agricultural lights that they now do um, and of course Anyone that knows them from the car world will know super high quality and yeah, super yeah. bright lights. Um, did they know that you had those lights before they booked you for that job? They did not. So you turned um, up and you went, oh, I've got some of these. <laughs> well, I was on a conference call yesterday morning. I'm like, oh, by the way, it'd be really cool if I can share these pictures because like, there's a nice link with my Lotus here. Yeah, yeah. 
and they were like, oh my god, that's yours? <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm not going to turn up to the photo shoot in it. But... Uh, no, not in a field. <laughs> Where's the most exciting place you've taken the Lotus then? Oh, uh, that's done some trips now, hasn't it? Yeah, there's been a few good ones. Uh, Norway was quite an adventure, um, although they're not very friendly if you get caught speeding. Luckily, I wasn't driving it at the time. My uh, my mate was, so he got in lots of trouble and had to pay a huge amount of money. Um, perhaps my favourite adventure in it was driving it through the night on New Year's Eve to go and see someone called Power Slide Lover who does have a real name but I won't say it I think um, I've encountered his stuff a few times yeah he's the one always skidding a Ferrari yeah has um, he got the 458 that he puts the 360 camera on the back uh, Is that he's got a LaFerrari uh, and a Monza and not sure who so, I'm thinking of <laughs> unless he also has this 458 that uh, he may do but um, um, but I went to see him yeah in the middle of winter on winter tyres in the Exige um, and he get there and he's got his Ferrari SP2 Monza uh, also on winter tyres yeah. and it's, it's really quite cold in the Dolomites in uh, winter especially with no windscreen um, but he chucked me the keys um, and let me go for a drive in it bloody hell so suddenly the Lotus seemed really civilised yeah because it's got a windscreen yes <laughs> I saw someone that's done um, a Mark One MX Five Monza Rep. It's really cool. It's a re- it looks <laughs> it's really well done as well. Yeah, it, I'd love it, that. It looks a little bit too tall, but it's like it's silver wide. It's even got the yellow stripe across the front. Absolutely spot on job with this thing. It looks really smart. It is very much a car that you would want in California, not in the UK. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think a few friends at the minute are over in somewhere in America. I can't remember which car week. Yeah. Yes. Um, I wish I was there. Well, it's not your kind of photography, mate. You know, you don't <laughs> oh, want to go and shoot events. <laughs> I, I would love to be there. I'll be there next year. Um, this Where, calendar of car stuff is just getting more and more insane every year, though, isn't it? It does seem to be. The thing I'm quite glad of is that there don't seem to be many motor shows at the moment. Mm. Um, but the flip side of that is Geneva Motor Show used to be the show yeah. where before it you had all the pre-production stuff and shooting launches for the cars that were coming to Geneva right, so yeah. you knew that your January, February, March you had a good work were chocker block well as that doesn't seem to exist quite so much anymore it's a bit more spread out ah right is it better that it's spread out or is it worse uh, I think worse but it but is that from your perspective of, yeah I've not got work through January, March as well, crammed in as it was before because December's always a bit of a rubbish month yeah. for Christmas. Um, it was nice to then kick off and go, oh, yeah, well, at least I know I've got this launch, this launch, this launch. Yeah. Which was always quite nice. What's but, the vibe around the motor shows like, though? Like, I've not done any of them, and I essentially entered the automotive world right when the world stopped. So I've not had the chance to, <laughs> to go to the shows as they used to be. Um, they were crazy busy. Yeah. Uh, and not particularly in a nice way. Right. Um, like, you would have autocar photographers elbowing you out your way so oh, that they right. can get the photo. Um, I was quite lucky that whenever I did a motor show, I would have one manufacturer as yeah. a client. Um, so I did a few for... I did a, a couple for Rimac. I did a couple for Audi UK. A few things like that. Yeah. But it meant I only had to do one stand. You didn't have to try and elbow I, in to get the others. I didn't have to be yeah. running round to 
50 different car manufacturers and getting every single launch spread out throughout the day. Oh, I bet that's such a pain in the arse as it, well. Yeah, it's not very enjoyable, but it was. it's something that pays the bills. True. So when you did the work for Rimac, did you get to meet um, Matty? Uh, yes. Because he seems like a really cool guy. Yeah, in fact, I went out in the Concept 1 with him oh, quite a cool. few years ago. Um, and then I shot the launch photos for C2. Right. Um, and then the following year when they brought another variation of spec to Geneva. Um, and that's what then became Nevera as yeah. the production car. That's a really cool thing to have done. Yeah. Like, even just as an experience, like that's cool. And then to have your work be what comes out of that experience must be like such a rewarding moment for you. Yeah. I mean, to me, one of the most exciting things about my job is when you go and see a car that no one in the world has seen before apart from the designers yeah and you are the one that gets to pick what everyone else sees for the first time so you walk around the car for the first time and actually a really good example of this is the the Tommaso P72 because it's a really well designed car Mm. that you walk around it and you go well I want everyone to see every angle yeah (laughs) like there's too much stuff to show now like everything is amazing and I've got a limited amount of space so I can do eight photos (laughs) and what do I want those eight photos to show people yeah that's a really hard thing to do yeah I bet um, but it's also it's really rewarding how such a small amount of photos though because uh, we had one day in a studio before it went to Goodwood right, for, okay. that, for that particular car so your your rate is about eight a day if you've got the right conditions uh, I, in reality nowadays I would as long as it's a good studio yeah. um, and there is a variation of how good a studio is um a lot of studios now have an LED top box which speeds things up. Right. Um, and if you're doing it the old school way, it very much slows things down and you have to kind of relearn as you go because yeah. you don't do it very often anymore. Because a lot of studios have improved these days. Yeah. Um, and it, also which assistant you have and how good they are. Right. Um, but I would say eight photos minimum per day in a studio, as the, uh, assuming I'm going to fix any errors in Photoshop, which, yeah. I, which I can in a studio. Like so, even a bare carbon car, yeah, I can fix where the reflections are and how it looks, etc. That's a, another skill set in itself. Like, so to take a good photo, it takes good planning on lighting and environment and textures, things like that. Positioning of the car itself and knowing how that's going to look under the lights, and then taking the photo with all the right settings for the photo itself, and then being able to retouch and change things knowing how you want the finished product to look. So do you go into these shoots with a, almost an expectation of what the end product's going to be before you take a photo? I do, but in my head, Yeah, if that makes sense. So I am building things up um, with the lighting. Yeah. So I'm making sure I get every element and I will work my way around the car. And I just have to remember what each bit is. And I, it's been my job for 15 years. Of course I can do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I can... I can look at a raw file and know exactly how I can get it from the edit. Do you find that because you've had so much experience doing this now, you're almost entering with like, oh, I know this angle works for this type and this, this, this," rather than having to go, oh, how can I make this work? You kind of go, I've already got 10 different styles that I know work quite well. Yeah, and even so, if people have done night photography and lit that themselves, Mm. studio is a bit similar in that respect. So if you're... Doing, if you're walking past a car with a tube, yeah, 
I know where you need to walk for the right reflections in the car. I, I just know where it's going to be because I've done it so many times. Yeah. Where it's then a bit different is when you shoot something like this Zenvo and you've got carbon bits pointing all in different directions, <laughs> like some are pointing at the sky, some are pointing at the floor, some are pointing at the camera. So then you've got like, ah, my thing that normally works if I just do this... Doesn't. It's now scattering <laughs> all over the place. Yeah. Um, it's such a, an intricate amount of like knowledge to retain and learn and kind of go through the process of that. But, but it's also... What's interesting to me is that that's what sets a car photographer apart from getting a regular portrait photographer to shoot a car. Yeah. It's a really different skill. And I, I'm not great at shooting people mm. um, because that's a Might get very... better when you go to America, though. Yeah. I, I could do with getting better anyway, to be honest. I, I would like to shoot more lifestyle stuff. I think that's a variation where I can improve and do some cool stuff. Yeah. Um, like... I'm a very technically minded person. You can probably tell uh, where I'm thinking <laughs> through the process and like I'm thinking about the kit, I'm thinking about the lighting. Um, well as shooting people is quite a different skill set. Yeah. And, and it's about how the people are reacting to you and getting the timing right. And people are very much less malleable than cars in the sense of they change. Yeah, they're really annoying. Yeah, they, they don't just stay still. They don't pull the perfect expressions when you ask them to. And um, my other half and I have a joke that she can't actually control her face. So she'll try and pull a certain like facial expression and nothing will happen. So in her head, she's like, I'm smiling a lot. And I'm like, are you okay? She's like, yeah, why? I'm like, you're not really reacting to anything. She's like, oh, I thought I had better control over my face than I do. Um, and it's just this running joke that she has no idea what her face is actually doing at any given moment. As much will as she can put into it. So then you've got that to factor in, that you try and take a photo of Grace, for example, and she, you're like, right, I just need you to pull this pose. She's like, completely blank. <laughs> like, I no, mean, no, pull this pose. The thing is, normally, for the stuff I would be doing, I would have like a really talented model yeah, who's used to doing this stuff. The reality is is that in order to get stuff in my portfolio, I need to just be talking to random people and get them to help yeah. me out, um, as opposed to hiring expensive people to begin with. Yeah, that's true. Um, well, so I'll that first stage is really hard. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I, we could call it fashion photography. You'd be fine. I just took one of my T-shirts on and off we go. And then you, you can Photoshop this tooth problem that I've got going on. And mm, that's all right. I'm sure we can manage something. Yeah, it'd be fine. It's a reason to meet up for a coffee, if nothing else. And I can just learn what camera gear you've got. Because I'm I'm very new to having an actual camera. So I got okay. I got my first camera in February. And then got rid of that a month ago because it was a cropped sensor entry-level okay. thing. That I was doing all right with. And I was like, I really need a full frame because that will sort out all of the noise issues I'm having. And then got a full frame camera and realised that I, it's probably just a noise issue. It's not actually how good my camera is at this point yeah. and my ability to take photos um, yeah although so I've been redoing my website recently right. and I've been going back through old photos which of course were shot on older cameras it's quite a big difference in the quality of the raw file yeah I <laughs> like bet. cameras have actually come quite a long way and you don't really think of it because you progress slowly over the years yeah. and you build up from one to another um, but I just got a new Nikon Z9 which is Nikon's flagship right and it's ridiculously good. So I've got a Sony A7 II, which is okay. probably good. nearly 10 years old. 
still a, it should still be good though. It, it like, does a good it's job. still mirrorless and yeah, yeah. Like, it has a good sensor and and then what I did was I bought a TT Artisan 50mm that's fully manual and it's about like this big <laughs> and I'm getting some really nice bits of it I'm like why has everything got it's a vignette it's just a shame they're all out of focus <laughs> yeah <laughs> and everything's got a vignette around it because the lens is so small compared to the frame um, I'm really enjoying just learning the process of playing with a manual lens yeah because you have to kind of know what bits to change to get yeah. at the end result um, and the benefit of my little Sony is it will kind of just tell you what bits are in focus and what aren't so when you yeah. look through the viewfinder it kind of gives you Highlights. little red dots where yeah. it's in focus so it, it helps you learn what you're doing um, but yeah I was like why am, Why are these photos like really kind of dark around the edges and then, and then someone went that lens is the smallest lens I've ever seen on, like, on a camera <laughs> that big I was like right okay that's why it was 120 why. quid then yeah <laughs> Um, over the last year I have really gone on a mission with camera equipment right so I've I because I'm such a technically minded person yeah I think in order to set myself aside from other people what can I do well I can do the technical side better yeah um, I, I'm not necessarily always the most creative right but I can apply a process where I understand the technical side and I can do that better yeah and then it's, it means that you know if I change this variable I get this result yeah so you... I've gone and bought some interesting lighting I've yeah. got uh, tube lights coloured lights like whatever I possibly need really yeah um, so I can get creative with that and I you can probably see from most of my work over the last year that tube lights and night photography have become my new favourite um, and this then might a, be to do with ADHD and it being your current hyper obsession it may be uh, this is the thing like it's better than spending money on car parts at least this actually gets me a return yeah true it's part of, oh, this is a business expense and it all might make some money from it hopefully um, but this is like part of the ADHD journey I found is learning the stuff that's actually quite helpful so we were looking at we're buying a house at the minute, so we've been going through the process of finding houses to view and this, that, and the other. And I was kind of, it wasn't what I was interested in doing in that moment until it was. And then I was like, right, I'm going to just do the typical ADHD thing of just falling into a rabbit hole. So I spent like an, it was only like a day because we've got a very limited search zone. And I was just going through, writing off like, don't need this, don't need that, wrong area, wrong size, like just going through every single advert on every single website for about a day yeah and i came up with like three houses i was like there we go we've got three that we should go and see and then a week later my other half was like oh i've booked us in for a day of house viewing in daventry i was like why well there's some nice houses that i've seen i went well you know that i've already gone through (laughs) and ruled out every single one of them otherwise i'd have sent them to you yeah but it'll be fun we went we spent a day going around houses in daventry got home i was like so which one do you like Oh, none of them. I was like, yeah, exactly, because it doesn't tick any of the boxes. I've already written this whole thing off and saved myself this day because I've done the deep dive thing where I went, right, this is what I'm focused on and I'm just going to go through everything I can relate figure to it that. out. I mean, I, I basically know the Lotus Parts diagrams off by heart now by, <laughs> for my car. There's a website that does um, a lot of, like, the parts diagrams. and I can't remember if it's just Toyota or if it's for every make and model, but it's so so useful to go right 
I need this drop link, but I can't remember the park number. And you just go on this website and you find the bit of the car that you're looking for and it just gives you all the diagrams and all the yeah. bits are labelled. And everyone's like, oh, what angel has created this website? Because I would love to just give you all of the money that I could. To- so, so Lotus have one, but you can also just order the parts direct off that and it's like, oh, this is going to get expensive. And it, it often does. Fortunately, you've changed a lot of the parts from Lotus. Yeah, I still need a lot of their parts though. Um, <laughs> I... Underest- so when I rebuilt my car, I facelifted it, and I underestimated just how much right. I had to change. You don't realise how much goes into a car facelift until you try and do it yourself. Those damn engineers actually do some work. Yeah, people just see, oh, that front bumper's different. Like, now all this stuff you can't see is new. Yeah, like every radiator bracket. Just really? Does. Yeah. Oh. I mean, they even put the fans on top of the radiator instead of underneath to increase airflow right. through the radiator. There's a huge amount of stuff a lot that of, happens. Oh, my God. Lotus engineers doing engineering, right? Oh, they redid the whole wiring loom. I bet that was frustrating when you found that out. Mm-hmm. Did you have to buy a whole loom, or did you just... No, I've found other ways around it. (laughs) So you've just got some little, like, heat-shrunk connectors every so often? Oh, no, it's proper with... Proper job. Proper programming and everything. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, it's a bit over the top. At this point, I'm not expecting anything less than than over the top, and over-engineered, if anything. Yes. Um, So with this kind of journey towards moving to America, then, what you'd said kind of before is that the American work is, is... it's basically big, bigger and better, mm. um, especially in LA, it seems, right. from my experience of just what jobs are out there, is the crews are much bigger and they do things properly. They've got unions for the film side of things, yeah. and therefore they kind of have to do things properly, yeah. but also everything you could ever need is in Hollywood true yeah um so if you work in media it's brilliant like if you need any equipment it's there to hire it's easy if you need any people there's people with more experience than you yeah Um, they're all looking for work it's great (laughs) um and the rate the people expect to pay properly because they're used to it yeah and because they have to because everything's so damn expensive in la yeah um overall it just seems great i mean i know America has many downsides. Um, of course, it does. But overall, I would I really enjoy whenever I've visited. Yeah, and LA is kind of the place to be, really, in America, isn't it? It's definitely got that. I, LA and New York are the two that people I think, think so. About. And what I really like about LA, I mean, not many people seem to actually be from LA. Yeah, they've all moved there, and everyone that's moved there is moved there because they think that they've outgrown the area that they live in and think they can do better if they're in LA so everyone's got this mindset of progress of wanting to do really well and people are happy for you if you do really well that's something that doesn't seem to exist in the UK no I don't think it does like I'm relatively sheltered from that in what I do because if I do well it means I'm making a difference and hopefully helping people so no nobody's really going to be pissy at you for oh my god you've saved loads of lives how dare you like I'm right if you were doing it in a Porsche yeah they're like why are you not putting money into charity or something like, yeah exactly yeah which is a, a line that if it does start to grow a bit more exponentially I, I am going to have to walk very carefully because I know other people in the automotive industry that have this like oh I've come from grassroots but now I'm doing well and people are always trying to rip them down yeah and it's really frustrating to see when you know the backstories and you know the journeys that people have been on. I mean, then... even people that start from 
a decent start in life. So take Shmi for example. Yeah. He actually, like, yes, he's come from like a middle class background. His dad's done well for himself. Just to point out, his dad isn't Mr. Burton, the clothing Burton people. That's a common misconception yeah. about Tim Burton's family. He's not from the Burton top man people. Yeah, and the reality is is that he is the most hard-working person... Oh, he's relentless. ...that I have ever met by some margin, to the extent that he always looks incredibly tired whenever I see him, because <laughs> he doesn't sleep. I, uh, I was at... Um, so Churo, who's also been a guest on here, it was his birthday, like the day before his event last year. So we all met at a pub near to where the event was for like a birthday party for him. And Shmi was there before everyone else. I got there probably 20 minutes after he did. He was on his laptop editing, getting ready to publish. I got myself a drink, sat down with some mates for about half an hour, and he was still working by the time Richard Rawlings turned up an hour and a half later. And then Shmi was like, I should probably shut the laptop now. But this was like half nine at night by that point. Yeah. So he'd clearly been shooting all day and then doing that. And then it was only after like everybody was there and like, right, you're being antisocial now. Did he stop to... I reckon he'd have kept going until midnight if nobody had kind with, of socially... With the Zembo video that he's done recently, um, which will be out very soon. Um, It'll probably be out before this podcast. Probably, yeah. Maybe tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Way before. <laughs> um, he was filming until 4am just to get it done because that was the opportunity that we could give him because yeah. I had a shoot to do and the studio was only open at certain times. So he got got it done wow it's it's so impressive and it gets so much stick yeah and people just really jump on that oh you're just a rich kid that's got a load of money it's like he's built so much from scratch like i first yeah. encountered him probably 10 maybe 15 years ago yeah and he's got a load of businesses that people don't even know are his yeah like he's doing incredibly well he's an He's a very intelligent bloke. Yeah, yeah. Very, very intelligent. It's frustratingly hard to pin down. I've been trying to get an <laughs> afternoon with him for about 18 months now. And every time, and I'm now at that point where I message him just to see when his calendar's free. And that's all the messages in our <laughs> chat. He's going, when are you free? Oh, not yet. When are you free? Oh, not yet. Because yeah. we, we don't socially interact very often because yeah. we're in quite different circles. So it's not like I'm just catching up and having a chin wag. It's just me going... Are you free yet? <laughs> like for 18 months worth of messages. I, I, apart from at Goodwood, I don't think I've ever seen him in the UK. Yeah. <laughs> I just ridiculous. see him I know in random minute, countries. He's in America now. Yes. Like every time you, oh, where's Shmi at? America, Middle East, Europe. Like he's never at home. Yeah. It's just a very hardworking guy that I'm trying to pin down to just <laughs> sit for an hour and chat. <laughs> One day. And I imagine even if we get an hour out of him, his phone will be pinging constantly. Oh, no, he'd give you the hour. He's good at it. But we, talking of the hour, we've smashed through an hour. Yeah. Which has been very nice. And it, how much fuel have you lost from sitting here with the engine on? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> still still got 250 miles. Oh, you're right. Honestly. You can make it home. Yeah. You don't have to spend service money for fuel. No. Um, so but I, I think we've had a really nice round hour. I, I think yeah. if we kept trying to go, we'd be dragging... Is, is there anything else you want to talk about? Well... <laughs> The, diff- the difficulty is, the way that I try and do this, and I don't want to devalue mental health conversation by saying that this is a mental health podcast and then kind of forcing conversations in that direction, because I don't think it's genuine. I also don't think that that's how life goes. The way that I'm trying to structure this is it's a casual chat to set as an example of conversation, and if the conversation goes in that direction, it goes in that direction, and it's, it's acceptable, yeah. it's okay... 
that's a normal part of conversation. That's the idea is that this is just what conversation is like and it's okay to go down that rabbit hole or talk about those things if... It's like talking with a mate, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's the whole idea. And I've had a couple of people now go, it's like just listening to your mates chatting in the pub. And that's the vibe I'm aiming for because if we can make that normal, more people will hopefully do it. But I'm very conscious that you and I have talked quite a few times that the mental health side of conversation can often be kind of brushed under the carpet or not necessarily shrugged off but kind of oh we'll have to, we have to avoid that and it, it was present in something that we were both at that was kind of talked about as a mental health thing and then as soon as someone went into a more serious side of the mental health thing a joke was presented to kind of yep. lighten the room a bit and then there was no follow-up afterwards to say look if you have had any difficulties with mental health and you need any help here are some resources so it it's probably worth us mentioning that and talking about that a bit I think there's an interesting point on that that everyone deals with these things differently Yeah. and for some people making that joke kind of just stops it getting further Mm. and that's what they need Yeah. and that's fine for them but with other people they want and they need to talk in more depth Yeah. and it's just different people need different things yeah different strokes for different folks isn't it yeah but I didn't know whether it's something that you wanted to kind of explore a bit or whether you wanted to kind of keep it quite casual like I, I'm cool with keeping it casual for today yeah that's um, fine yeah. I have had a lot of stuff on recently moving to America at some point is a very stressful thing yeah yeah because you're suddenly uprooting your whole life and going oh oh yeah is this the right thing oh, it's, a, it's a very big like endeavour isn't it it's not just like like when I moved from Nottingham to Brighton it's like, oh, I'm moving to the other end of the country. We're in a pretty small country, and you don't have to get a plane to get anywhere. Yeah. It's, 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 a, it's a huge potential step, and it, given how you've explained your process with anything, and understanding how much goes into moving to America, it must be a lot of work for you to go through, right, every little thing that you would need in place to yeah, do it. Yeah, and I'm overthinking it. Yeah. Um, whereas like if you take me for example like, let's move to America yeah. and then we'll go we've got enough money to do it let's just go and figure it out yeah. so it, whereas I have to you have to know everything beforehand well I have to sell at least one car yeah. um, and I'm in a lucky position where I have three cars plus Tilly's Jeep makes four yeah and so we're like we're in a nice position but you you the moment you sell a car it's like oh shit this is real yeah you've <laughs> taken an actual step towards this thing now haven't you yeah um, how are you so there might be other people that listen to this that go through the similar thought processes that you go through when doing anything how do you manage that it's probably quite a valuable thing for people <laughs> badly <laughs> <laughs> okay let me rephrase that what have you found helps <laughs> uh, well I haven't managed to get to the stage where I've applied for the visa yet so yeah. I haven't really got over that barrier um, I think the moment that a car... Like, it tends to be once I've broken down that barrier, which is probably selling that car, Yeah. The, it's like, okay, well, that wasn't too bad. And then you can start And then you through start the getting through the next bits. So it's one of those bits where it's like, just start. Starting is the thing that will keep you moving forward. Yeah, or yeah. I will have a big job come in, and that will just pay for it itself. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's how it goes sometimes it in my work that, but that it's not pressure. the challenging thing with my job it's not predictable yeah. you don't know when the next big paycheck's coming in it could be in six months time so do you not have any kind of retainer customers then not really right <laughs> so one I, thing it's one of those things I <laughs> Tilly 
went freelance for a bit and she struggled with. Yeah. Um, I have been doing it 15 years and I've not got myself into a situation where I'm really struggling yeah. and I'm like I know things will come along I'm good at my job you've got the confidence in your ability I now, just have yeah. faith that things will come in and I do what I can so I've got new website being built to really present my work in the best way I can Yeah. I try and get out and about when I can um, which unfortunately means travelling long distances on crap roads in your favourite car <laughs> yeah yeah what a shame um, um but yeah, it all helps the more you're out there. Um, there's a weird thing. Basically, posting on social media helps with getting more work for me. That's the only reason I use social media. Yeah. But if I'm not busy with work, I have nothing to post. And it's like you get into this downward spiral where you're like, I don't want to post old work. Yeah, I know what you mean. I've seen that you've you've stepped a little bit into kind of not necessarily that like I'm in front of the camera all the time thing, but you've done a few like videos of taking the lotus out and doing photos yeah just kind of going through a bit of a process with people and i think that's been really informative and nice to see for the other thing is people actually like an individual on camera and i don't necessarily enjoy doing it i'm in the same like boat at the minute where i'm like i know that if i stand in front of a camera and talk about stuff or i show something or i explain something it's well received and people enjoy it yeah and then every day I'm like, I'm going to go out and do that. And I just sit and not do that. Because yeah. it's, it's, again, it's like that, like, it, once you take the step, you're fine. Yeah. But it's all the build-up to taking that step that just every distraction is like, oh, that's really distracting, I'll go and do that instead. Like, rather than doing the thing that you said you were going to do. So the other thing, I obviously really enjoy taking photos. Um, Instagram isn't it's not really a photo. Yeah, mean. it's not liking photos. No. So... Like I did a reel where I just started the Lotus. Yeah. Um, it got two hundred thousand views. Most successful post I've done for quite a long time. It's like I put so much effort into photography. I know. And I literally walked out to my garage and started my car, and it did better. How do you think I feel as someone that's picked up a camera this year and started to get good at taking photos? I'm like, oh, I've, I've joined this party way too late. But the difference being that with my work. Yeah. the manufacturers need to show a certain level of quality for their credibility and I think even more so for the hypercar manufacturers yeah. where it's so niche that if they do it cheap they look really stupid it ruins the brand value doesn't it it does um, please buy this £2 million supercar that we've which made which we can't afford to photograph yeah we spent £300 getting Dave's niece to come and take some photos <laughs> yeah and got some YouTubers <laughs> to make a video that's um, another world in itself isn't it like I find Embargo Day a really weird day on the internet because you just get a thousand of the same video with a different face in it. You do, but it was no different with magazines. No, you just true. go and pick up the one you want. Yeah. Um, I think we're quite lucky, actually, with how accessible the media is now. That's true. I'd not really thought of it that way. I think because I wasn't really reading car magazines when I was... Like, as a kid, you read them to see what photos of cars are in there. Yeah. And then as an adult, you read them to read them. But I was. Or a, you just watch YouTube videos. Yeah, but I, that's the thing. Like our age, we kind of we moved into the YouTube world as it kind of started becoming a thing. So we never really had that. I'm going to sit and read a magazine for the reviews or anything because I can just watch a video of the thing, which is going to give me way more information and feeling and emotion and stuff. Yeah. Um, so I, I'd not experienced what it was like before this influx of Instagram. I think the closest crossover we had was like Chris Harris on cars. Then became a lot of like supercar blondie stuff took over that market more a little bit I think it's just to different audiences mm. 
um, supercar blondie is for the people that don't know about cars. Yeah, because you can get that impression by watching yeah. any of those videos. <laughs> well, as someone like Shmee, or like Shmee is, goes into real technical detail about stuff really yeah. well. Uh, Top His Gear do as well. to tell you information without stopping yes is so well done yeah you watch any of his videos and he will give you say five minutes of specs details engineering things like the whole breakdown of the car there won't be a, an um or an er uh or a checking or anything it's just five minutes of him <laughs> there's not in the finished one <laughs> no, yeah. normally they look like a one take so <laughs> thanks tim for taking ages in my zembo shoot yeah. uh. <laughs> he's 16 goes in now he should he should know this by now <laughs> um but that as you say is a very big difference between those two styles of yeah, and there's a place to. for both. The internet's yeah. a big place, and the good thing about YouTube is that people aren't really rivals. No. It's not like photography where someone hires one person or another. Like yeah. That makes you a rival of other photographers, Yeah, yeah. Uh, whether you want it or not. Like I still get on with loads of photographers, and I quite enjoy spending time with them. Um, but I, mean, I actually had a really weird one with uh, Mark Riccioni. I met him for the first time on Sunday. Really nice bloke. Um he was on a shoot with McLaren, um, but Neo, Neom, had Neo. hired him, the Saudi company. Oh, right, okay. Uh, the city. Um, so we both were standing next to each other taking exactly the same photos, and, like, <laughs> we just had a really good day out together. Like, it was cool, and, like, we weren't competitive. Cause it wasn't that moment where he went and stood on a different spot, and you're like, oh, why is he stood over there? I need to go and stand over there see what he's doing. <laughs> no, not at all. We kind of, we shot together, and it, like, we lit for each other, and it was just quite nice. Oh, that's really nice. Like, I'm really glad that went very in wholesome. a nice, positive direction, because <laughs> I met him on Sunday. Like, we've Instagram messaged quite a lot. Um, especially when I was first starting doing what I do because I was like can I reshare some of your photos with captions because I don't have much content and he was very nice he was like yeah just make sure you credit where it's from and where it went Um, and then on Sunday we were at Retro Rides and he was there in the uh, Lasagna 430 Um, and I was like we've never met in person but we've talked quite a lot and he's like I know who you are I was like ah and he was so lovely and it turns out he lives like 10 minutes away from me oh nice um so we're, he's going to be a guest on at some point, hopefully. Yeah. So it would have been very awkward if you were like, yeah, I had a really awkward moment with Mark. He's a right dickhead. No. <laughs> that would have been really uncomfortable. Like, nah, he's good. Uh, no, he's a really, really friendly guy. Sounds surprisingly similar to Paul Cowland when he talked to him. Okay. If you ever meet the two of them, they've got a very <laughs> similar voice and mannerisms. Okay. And it took me a minute. I was like, you sound really familiar, but we've never like had a phone call or anything. And then it clicked. I was like, How it's weird. like Paul Cowland's talking to me. Um, also been a guest on here as well. So I've... I'm, making my, way, I'm yeah. making my way through all the automotive. I'm going to run out of people at some point. <laughs> Who's interested in cars? No, they've already been on. I'm going to have to start doing round two. And, well, we'll catch up. You were on four years ago. What are you doing now? Yeah. Um, it'll be difficult. You can come out to, to LA. Yeah, I'll have to come to LA. Do the Don Broco song. <laughs> um, no, genuinely, it's been an absolute pleasure just yeah, to sit, and, sit yeah. and chat. And thank you for sharing a bit more about your world that I personally didn't know, and I'm sure people who listen to this didn't know about. Yeah. Um, been fun lovely right I'll stop recording thank you everyone so that was the episode with George Williams a really good one to sit and record in the services that are about halfway between our two houses Uh, hope you enjoyed it hope you've really taken in all of what George does and just a little bit of housekeeping while we're at the end of the podcast a thank you for listening all the way through 
it's over an hour long so I appreciate taking that amount of time to listen to me chat with one of my friends from the car world and B we've been doing some different things with Tacona lately we've got two new coffees and cars that have started unfortunately you've just missed when they started it was the Sunday that's just gone uh, but there's two more, one in uh, Derbyshire and one in Oxfordshire. All the details are on the website. And I've also recently released a new, more cost-effective range of clothing to the site. So for those with a bit of a tighter budget, especially through the time that we're living in at the moment, uh, it's a, a simpler, more kind of streamlined design on the same garments that I use for everything else. So the quality of the, the bit of material that touches you, still top-notch, but we've simplified some of the design so that we can make it more cost effective to produce, which means that it can be more cost effective for you guys to buy. So they'll be a bit simpler, not quite as artistic as some of my bigger pieces, but still automotive and still a way to create those connections, get people talking. And that's the end goal of it all really is to have a kind of tool for conversation to start if it's recognizably automotive and as Tacona as a name grows it's going to open the doorway for those conversations. So everything is on the site already. You'll see it under the new tiers of product ranges. Go check it out. Go check George out. See some of the amazing work that he does. But most of all, take care of yourself and thank you for listening.